here today. As we worship you, we come into your presence. Let your glory be filled. Fill this place, I pray. Amen. So wonderful, Holy Spirit, that you are here. That Jesus is here, God our Father, and that you love us so much. Thank you for your spirit to send upon us. Thank you for your son to do all that we could not do. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that it is that it is you that is glorified in all that we do. And I ask this in the name of your son. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning again, everybody. Sorry, just should have cleaned up a little bit earlier. Um, I wanted yesterday was gorgeous, right? Yesterday was beautiful. It was hot, sunny, fantastic. Um, but also yesterday, Kristen and I, as well as several others, got together to celebrate a life that was taken. Um, and we were able to do that at a funeral that was here yesterday on a beautiful, beautiful day. And it was great because we were able to see God's beautiful work at play. Now, and as we were at this funeral yesterday, I was reminded of the sermon that I was doing today, and I added this late yesterday, um, because in a lot of ways, funerals that we're seeing God's plan play out for us, because every day God, every day, let me rephrase, every day God could call us home. He could call us home. And the beauty of that is that we are made in the image of God in Genesis one twenty six. He knows us so well that he has numbered the hairs of our head. Luke 12, 7. And for some of us, like me or Pastor Chris, that's easier to count than others, right? But he also knows how many steps we have taken, Job 31, 4. He knows us. And today, we're going to look at something because he knows us so well. We're going to look at his will for us. And we need to be able to take a look at that. We need to understand because he has something planned for us. Something that that he has that we can then go and do. And we're going to look at John chapter 4, verses 1 through 42. Right? So if you have your Bibles, get there. Right? Because we're going to look at that passage. We're going to spend all all of our time in that passage. Uh, And as you're going there, I, I just wanted to say that, you know, I'm super excited this morning. And, and I'm excited for a couple of reasons. Not only because I get, I'm up here getting to talk to you guys here in person as well as online. Um, hello, by the way, to those people at home. But I'm excited because Annika is home from school, right? She's got one year left of college, which is totally amazing and excited. Elise has two weeks left of her sophomore year, her and Lydia, right? And they're, they're excited for school to be done. I mean, who really isn't? Right? Who wants school to continue going on? Nobody, not even the teachers, right? They're, they're excited for school to get done, right? And, and I'm excited because Maddox is 11 months old and he's just trying to figure things out, right? He doesn't know his awake schedule from his sleep schedule or our awake schedule from our sleep schedule, 
right? And he's, he's just trying to figure out how to walk, right? And, he, and as we've talked uh, with like, the kids and the family, it's like he has no confidence and he's so close to doing it. Like he'll have one hand and then he'll try to let go and then he's down, right? But he, he can do it. He just doesn't have the confidence. But it's interesting because as I'm watching Maddox, everything that he's doing, it reminds me of something that my girls had done, right? How is he figuring things out is the way how, how my girls were kind of figuring out. They're different, right? The difference between girls and boys, but it's very entertaining for me to watch. And it's also entertaining because as Maddox gets ready for his terrible twos before he's one, right? <laughs> Because there's a lot of times when we tell him no, and he'll shake his head no, and then he throws a fit because you're telling him no, right? He's, he's just like, no, that's not happening, right? And as uh, my daughter's baby book says, it's all about her. Well, Maddox definitely thinks he's the center of the known universe right now. But it's, it's just amazing, and it's fun, and it's awesome, and I know that when, when I have issues trying to communicate with Maddox, even though he can't talk, he definitely talks back, right? If you don't have a child, that happens, right? Because you tell him no, and then he's just, right, going after you, like, how dare you, right? And he's doing that, and it's, it's just amazing. But he's starting to figure out something that my girls, even though they're much older, are just coming to terms with just coming to terms with. And everybody has this with their parents at some point. My will is stronger than his, right? And my girls are starting to understand that my will is stronger than theirs, right? They're just coming to grips with that, right? And a lot of times, even, even though I'm 44, right, and my parents are, are 70, there's still times when I have to come to grips with that, right? I have to submit sometimes to the will of my parents, out of respect, right? But we're going to talk about the will, and that's going to be a lot of fun today, I think. It is for me, because I I have this, this thing, as I keep thinking about, is that many of us, and many times both believers and non-believers, they confuse what is meant by the will of God, Right? Like Maddox, many believe that they need to stand their ground, that they need to be able to not do what God is wanting them to do because it's scary, because it's dangerous, because they believe that God's asking them to do something that's not in their best interest. And as I watch a battle of wills between everybody in my house, because that's how, you know, that happens when you have people in a house, I just kept thinking of John 4. And specifically, this, these verses of 1 through 42 and this story, this, this event that happens that we're going to take a look at. Now, Jesus did the will of his father. Jesus never fought with his, with his father. I would like to say that I never fought with my father. I would still like to say I never fought with my father, right? But arguments, disagreements happen. We never see that from Jesus. Jesus never threw a temper tantrum over what his father had asked him. How many times have you said that about your own parents? But instead we listen, we hear, we see that Jesus does the will of his father. Well, why is that? Why does Jesus able to do the will of his father? Matthew 7, 21, 
says that everyone, this is Jesus speaking, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Matthew 12, 50, as well as Mark 3, 35, says, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother, my sister, my mother. John 4, 34 says, Jesus said to them, he's speaking to his disciples, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. John 6, 38 through 40, Jesus says, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this, excuse me, and this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing for all that has been given to me, but raise it up in the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. That is the Father's will. But we're going to look at the Father's will through John 4, 1 through 42. So hopefully you have your Bibles open, whether it's analog, uh, paperback, or uh, electronic. And so I want to read all 42 verses. Now, we're not going to cover all 42 verses because there's a lot of it there, but we're going to cover a partial of it. Uh, But I believe that I want to read all 42 verses, one, because it provides a lot of context for what we're going to be talking about today. So verse 1, Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? For he gave us, for he gave the well and drank from it himself, and did his sons, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up for eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so they will not be thirsty nor have to come to here to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Go, tell your husband to come here. And the woman answered, I have no husband. And Jesus said, You are right in saying you have no husband. For you have five husbands, and the one you are now, you have, excuse me, and the one you now have is not your husband. So that you have said is true. And the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. And the fathers, our fathers worshipped on this mountain. 
But you say that in Jerusalem is a place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming. Neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know, and we worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews, but the hour is coming and is now here. When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, and the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then the disciples came back, and they marveled that he was speaking with a woman, but, but no one said, what do you seek? Nor, or why are you speaking, why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town. And she said to the people, come and see the man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of town, and they went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, my food is to the will of him who sent me to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life. So that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the subject, excuse me, for here the saying holds true, one sows and other reaps. I sent you to reap for that for which you did not labor. Others have labored. You have entered into their labor. Now many Samaritans come from that town. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there for two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the savior of the world. Now I wanted to read that whole passage and it was quite long and thank you for bearing with me because it's important to set the context for God's will. And we see that in this, because chapter four starts that Jesus and his disciples are leaving, right? To go from Jerusalem, right? Which if you can see is down here, all the way up to Galilee, right? From Judea to Galilee, from north to south. But there were, they had to go through Samaria. Now, the interesting thing is that the Jews and the Samaritans, they didn't really get along at all. And there were traditionally two routes to do that, straight north or to go around. So if, you, if they went around, a lot of the Jews would go, whoops, wrong button. We'd go across the River Jordan here, north, and then cross it back over into Galilee. Basically trying to avoid Samaria at all costs. And those were usually the, the more pious Jews that would do that. But we didn't see that, right? And the reason why they would, they would go around is because they viewed the Samaritans as a racially mixed people, and they didn't really want to do any dealings with them. 
And that was because over time, they were Jewish and Gentile people had intermarried. In 2 Kings 17, 24 through 31, we see the king of Assyria brought many people from Babylon, and I apologize for the butchering of these names, Kata, Ava, Hamath, Sepharvim, and they all settled in the land of Samaria, as well as the Israelites who were already there. And when they settled there, the people started to intermarry with the Israelites with the Gentiles. And then it was because of those marriages and the descendants of those marriages that the Jews really looked down upon those people. And so to be able to travel north, there was two options, either going straight through or going around. But the interesting thing is that when we get to chapter, verse 4, right? if we get to verse 4, and he had to pass through Samaria, very small, very short. But it's interesting because he had to. He had to. There was no other choice, no other option. Now, when you look at how the word here is used, it's used as die. And in other places, it's translated as must. So Jesus had to go through Samaria. He must go through Samaria. He must go through because he is following the direction, the will of his father. But why? John 6, 38 says, For I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus is only doing what the father asked him to do. And he only knew that because, because of the time he spent with the father. How much time do you or do we spend with the Father to know what he asked for us? Just to spend time with him, not even to seek his will, to seek his guidance, to seek his answers. How much time do we spend just with the Father? Prayer is essential, right? Over the past year and a half, we've heard a lot about essentials. Prayer is essential for us. It is our way to communicate with our Heavenly Father, to feel His presence, to hear His voice, to talk to Him, not just about what we have going on, but to talk to Him as a friend, as a family member, as a spouse, as a child. He wants to talk to us, to get to know us, for us to get to know Him, really. But we have to put in the time. We have to seek our Father to talk, to listen, there's time involved with that. John 5, 19 through 20 says, And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, so, so, so the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will show will he show him, so that you may marvel. In very basic terms, Jesus is doing nothing outside of the Father's will. And Jesus knows the Father's will because of the relationship he has. We can have that relationship. Now it's interesting because in those verses in John chapter five, nineteen through twenty, he says he does nothing except for what he sees the Father doing. Now, for many of you who have kids, we see that. We can see that. 
So one thing that I do with all of my kids, as well as uh, some of the kids here when they were little, is I curl my tongue, right? And it's something I do a lot. And usually when they're little, they just look at it like in astonishment. That's not right, right? And if you've ever seen a kid or done something like that, there you can attest to that. So recently I've been doing that with Maddox, because that's fun, right? And I did it with both my girls and a lot of the other kids right, that I've been around when they were little. And he, at first, would just look at it in astonishment. Now, lately, recently, last week, he started to actually stick out his tongue, right? He sees me doing it, and he's starting to imitate that, right? And that is just hilarious. He's not to the curling part yet or trying to attempt it. He's just working on in and out, right? And which is fun. But he's imitating that. And we see our kids do that for better or worse. Right? How many, and I, I can relate to this in, in more ways than one, but how many times have we been out in a grocery store or something and panicked about if our kids would say something? Right? Or do something. Right? Oh, man. I, they, you know, they copy things that we say. Oh, that could be bad. Right. I have, uh, as a side note, I have some, I have quite a few cousins and, and one set of cousins, they tend to swear a lot. And so it came to a little bit of a surprise to them when their kids started to swear. Right. And not just swear, but swear loudly. Right. All sorts of words. Right. And so that's, that's a horrific, embarrassing thing that can happen. Right. Or one of, you know, one of my, you know, my kids, they like to act things out. And so it's the same thing out in public. And, but they, they see you do something, right? Sometimes they mimic, mimic your hand gestures. So if you, you know, do something while driving, sometimes your kids will mimic that. And, uh, you know, those, it's just a lot of those things. And so, but God, Jesus says that he is only doing what he sees his father doing. So he's imitating his father. He's doing the will of his father because he sees it, because he knows it. Jesus knows his father's will. He's only doing what his father has showed him to do, and that's because of the relationship. Now, I'm going to get to this a little later, but it just came to mind because I'm, I'm, it, has, it gives me a smile. Because when we became a believer, if you remember to the day that you were saved or shortly thereafter, and you were around others that you used to be around or family members. And they would say, there's something different. You have the Spirit, Holy Spirit within you at conversion, at salvation. And they see God through you for that first time. You're starting to understand the will that God has for you. But then again, I am a sinful fallen man. And when God gives me something to do, I tend to screw it up because I don't fully trust him. And a lot of times when we hear from God, we get a glimpse of his will, right? And we look like this. We're happy. We see God's will. We feel God's will. And we're happy. Everybody's happy. You're happy. I'm happy. We think that we know what's going on, right? But what happens? 
right? What happens? And we're going to see this in just a minute. We hear a snippet of his will and we end up like this, right? God's going, trust me, this will be amazing. And you're like, get me out of here, right? Full on panic attack, right? We get a glimpse of what he has and without knowing anything else, not hearing anything else, we freak out, right? And this comes, what comes to mind is one of my favorite people in the Bible is Gideon. And I love it because Gideon freaks out when God talks to him, full on panic. And in Judges 6, 15, right? Gideon says, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh. And I am the least in my father's house. Translated to today, it says, I am the smallest person in the smallest family in the smallest tribe. How can I save Israel? And I have a sneaky suspicion if you were to look back at verse 14, all Gideon hears are two words, save Israel. And he freaks, and he panics. How can I do this? And it's easy for me to hear only a part of the will that God has for me. And it's easy for me to hold on to that and to have a panic attack. Because I lack, I feel like I lack anything or everything needed to accomplish. But then I look at somebody else. Another example of many with, that we have in the Bible of Jonah. In hearing the destination of Nineveh, he tries to run from God. Like that's ever going to work. Right? I mean, in both situations, God is going to do something great. For Gideon, he tears down the walls of Jericho. Now, if you know anything about that, the walls fall outward. Usually when you're bombarding a city that's walled like that, the walls go inward but the walls fall outward, like from the inside out. And for Jonah, he delivered God's message of repentance to the people, to the city of Nineveh. Now, both of these people, Gideon and Jonah, were definitely scared. They didn't want to follow God's will. They didn't want to do anything like that. And both worked either to convince God that he wasn't the right person or just plainly run away. How often do we do that in our lives? And it's for things that are so much smaller than repentance to an entire city. So much smaller than bringing down the walls of a city. How often do we do that? I do that all the time. All the time. We don't see or we don't hear what he wants for us or what he has for us. But instead, we try to reason with God that we are not the right person. Our Heavenly Father will take care of each of us. He has made us. He knows us. He knows our desires. He knows our wants, our weaknesses, our strengths. 
And every time somebody does the will of God, throughout history, what happens? God is glorified. His glory is shown. Because usually only he is the one that can bring about it. Only he is the one that can do it. Jesus knew the will of his father and followed it, leading him through the middle of Samaria, which many of the Jews would work to avoid. But no, he traveled straight through. And when he did, he traveled straight through. He came to a well, a well that Jacob had done, had made uh, for Joseph. And he gets there, he gets there around noonish of the sixth hour, and he comes to the woman of Samaria, and he sees, or excuse me, uh, and the woman of Samaria comes to get water, and Jesus says to her, Give me a drink. But then I I think about what, the question is, one, why was she the only one there getting water? Why was she the only one getting water? And why was it around noon? Here, you know, noon is not, not so hot. It's later in the day it gets hotter. Right, when we were in South Carolina a month ago, it was really hot by noon. Right, and I can imagine that it being really hot there by noon. It's a lot hotter than here, right? But why would she do that? She'd probably go to get water at that time because nobody else was there. Because we can see, we saw earlier that Jesus calls her out on how many people, how many men she has married and is now living with. She wanted to, to avoid people at all costs. We understand and we know that Jesus was tired and thirsty from his travel and sat by the well. He sent his disciples away into the city to get food. And he was there waiting for the woman to come. As he was interacting with her, as I was reading that, I couldn't help but think of myself. And really thinking of Jesus meeting me where I was at. The Samaritan woman knew God because she says her ancestors worshiped him. And we know that from 2 Kings that there were Israelites there. She knew that the Jews worshiped God in Jerusalem because of the surrounding area in Jerusalem being so close. The woman of Samaria had an idea of their beliefs. Many years ago, I had a chance to move out. To move out of my parents' house, to move up to Bellingham. It was fantastic. I moved out with three guys. I was excited. I was ready. There were some people who were less excited about that move. But there we were, four college-age guys, between 18 and 19, living on our own. Right? I know. Awesome. I know. It was fantastic. And as a guy who was moving out, I was super excited. Super excited. This is going to be great. Right? Hindsight's always twenty twenty, Because I moved out with three guys who were heavily involved and knew their faith. And as soon as we moved up there, the first thing they did was looking for a church that all of them could go to, that all of us really could go to. 
And when we moved up there, because they were all different backgrounds, they went to different churches around here. And um, so they were looking for one that we could all go together, and they would always invite me out to go to church in the morning. Hey, come with us to church, come with us to church, come with us to church. And I was very excited about not going to church at that time, right? I went to church. I did a lot of things when I was at Holy Family growing up, and I was excited for the opportunity to not. I now can see God's will in that. Because they not only went to church, they went to a college age at Western. They had a kind of unofficial youth group that a lot of kids went to called the inn, and I have no idea if it's still around. But I, I gave in and I said, yeah, I'll go. And I was in the balcony of this church on a hard wooden pew next to the sound room, and God met me there. He met me where I was at. He met me at that church. My warts, my scars, my unbelieving self. He met me where I was at and he connected with me like nothing I had ever experienced before. The same thing happened with the woman at the well. She had been married five times and was living with her sixth man. Now today we probably wouldn't think anything of it. But then, man, that was scandalous. And she wanted to avoid people, which is why we see her getting water when she was. And Jesus calls her out on this and recognizes it without her telling him anything. But he also says there's a better way and that he can provide living water. The woman doesn't understand any of this. And she's thinking he's talking specifically about H2O, water, water, drinking water. Because she asked him, how do I draw this out, right? John 4, 15. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come to draw water. She's totally not understanding what he's saying. He's saying something that is spiritual inside and she's thinking literal water, right? Literal water. But this isn't the first time this has happened. And this is, and, and it reminded me earlier because I was reading one through four and it reminded me of John chapter three, one through 15 and the Nicodemus. Jesus meets Nicodemus at night for a variety of different reasons. And Jesus says, one must be born again to enter the kingdom of heaven. And Nicodemus is standing there totally not getting it. And he goes, how can one enter his mother's womb again? Right? John 3, 4. I don't understand. How can this happen? The woman doesn't understand what Jesus is saying. Jesus talks to the woman where she was at. As she was trying to hide from those around her, she is talking to Jesus and she believes. And the next thing happens because it happens to all of us in some fashion. Not exactly like this, but in some fashion. She leaves her water jug 
and runs. She goes back to the city. She goes and tells people, there's a man who I just talked to. He knows everything about me, right? And they're probably going, we know everything about you, right? And he goes, she goes, they know, he knows everything about me. You got to meet him. I think he's the Christ. And if you remember to when you were first saved, you had that excitement. You had that kind of feeling, that glow about you to go and to tell people what has happened, what God did for you, what relief has, ha- has been lifted from your shoulders, from your soul, what holes in your soul has been filled. And maybe like you, definitely in my situation, there were others. And we see this in the disciples. And we, we see this because we're, the disciples don't really say anything, but we have an insight into their mind of what they're saying. And a lot of these guys know and try to avoid the Samaritans. And so when they see Jesus talking to this woman, they become somewhat confused. Because in John 4, 27, we hear, what do you seek? They're speaking to the woman. What do you seek? What do you want from this man? And then they look at Jesus and they go, why are you talking to her? How many times have you had friends that you're trying to talk to about your experience, about going to church, listening to music, right, Christian music, reading the Bible, something you have read, and you have other friends who are like, why are you even discussing this? This is you. You keep it here. You don't tell anybody. What is the matter with you? We see this from the disciples because their eyes have not yet been opened because they haven't received the Holy Spirit. And we see that because not only in this instance, but several instances, these disciples tend to ask similar questions over and over again. Right? Lord, who is the greatest? Lord, who is the greatest? Lord, can I sit by your right hand? Right? They tend to ask the same questions. They don't understand why he is sharing, talking to this woman. Just as people around us don't understand why we are doing the same thing. We are so full of the Holy Spirit, our cups runneth over. And we see that in her as she runs back to tell people, I, I am sinful and I am fallen and it's hard for me to do what the Father has for me. Because I hear the enemy a lot. Either telling me I'm not good enough, telling me I'm not strong enough, telling me to do the opposite, telling me that it's not really God talking to me. Me listening to the enemy when I should be listening to our Heavenly Father. If we do not have, if we do not have a relationship with God, we do not know Him, and we don't know the will that He has for us, we get scared. And we feel that it's too much. 
I'm reminded of Matthew 26, 39. And he says, going and going a little further, he fell, Jesus fell on his face and prayed saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as my will, but as you will. Even Jesus had a hard time doing God's plan, right? Jesus had a hard time. He knew what had to be done because he's been speaking about it for so often. He knew that he was going to die. He knew he was going to do something to fulfill God's plan. He knew that's the reason why he was born. But it was still hard. It was incredibly hard. And it can feel hard for us. It can feel overwhelming for us. It can feel as if we can't breathe. But if we do his will, his glory will be forever. It'll be there. He will always give us the strength. Right? Philippians 4.13, it's a memory verse. We should all know it. For I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's not with just going to the store to get food. That's not to lift a car off of somebody who's been run over. That's doing the will of God. Christ is strengthening you when we do his will. He's not going to strengthen us when we don't do his will. We need to do his will. And he will give us strength to do that. Because for us as sinful fallen people with the ear from the enemy, we will have a hard time unless we are in commune, unless we know, unless we have that strong relationship with the Father, with Jesus, with the Holy Spirit. Christ is who strengthens us when we do the will of the Father. It is our faith in Christ, our relationship with God, with Jesus, with the Holy Spirit. We are out there and we are working towards that. That is our goal in life. Our goal in life is to do a few things. Follow God with all of our heart. Worship him with all of our hearts. Build the kingdom through his will. Right? That's important. Without the Holy Spirit leading us, we can't. It's hard for us to build the kingdom, his kingdom, because we need his will to do that. We can't do it on our own. I've tried and I've failed. I'll tell you that flat out. Jesus knows the will of his father. He knows that because he spent time with his father. He's listened to his father. He's communed with his father. But also Jesus meets us where we're at every single day. Some of us have been on this journey to Christ a lot longer than others. But we still need him. It's not a one and done thing. It never is. We need Christ. We need the Holy Spirit in our lives to move and to do better. So the only question that I have for us is this. Are you following the will of the Father? 
And this is a hard question to answer. This is something that we have to be honest with ourselves. Are we following his will? Do we even know what that is? Can I hear his will for my life? And that's something that we have to be honest with. Is that something that's true? Are we reading his word? Are we communing with him? Are we worshiping him? Are we communing with our brothers and sisters in Christ? Are we doing all of those things? The past year has been extremely hard, and, I would, you know, and that's true for all of us. Right? But if we're following his will, he will strengthen us, and the church will endure as it always has and will always will. You know, my, my grandfather, for all of his difficulties that, in life, he told me quite a few things um, that, that I have shared with my children, uh, some that have been more positive than others. But he told me when I was young that the day he stops learning is the day he dies. Now, I, I would like to amend that because the day I stop listening to God, I feel like it's the day I die. Not physically. Not physically. I need him. I need him in my life. I need him directly. I need him in my spirit. I need him showing me where to go and how to go. And that's the hardest thing for any of us to do, no matter our age. Right? Whether we're 11 months or whether we're 90, we need God directing us in our life. Always, continuously, forever. Then we'll be called home. And we'll be surrounded by joy and love in a way that we cannot even fathom, can't even describe at the moment. We'll be surrounded and celebrating in Christ and his, what he had done for us, what he did for the Father what the Father did for him, but we will be able to do that for eternity. And that is amazing. And that is something that we need in our lives is to remember that. So I implore you, are you following the will that your Father has for you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for knowing us since before the beginning of time, for making us in your image, for being there when we need you, for being there when we forgot about you. We need to be as children wanting to be near you, wanting to be near their father. I pray that we will be able to continue to know you better, continue to have a deeper relationship with you, continue to hear your voice, to understand your will for us. Thank you for meeting us where we are at and showing us that even through your will, even the will that you have for us may look hard. You will give us the strength, the fortitude to follow it. 
but we need to be standing on your foundation. We need to be there with you, standing. I pray, Father God, that you give us the strength to follow you during these dark times and this dark place. Every day as it gets closer to you coming back, the more we need you. I pray, Father, that we listen and that we will listen to what you have for our lives in its entirety, that we will hear your voice, that we can focus on that, and that we will not only have that, but we will hear you this week, next week, every week. Thank you for your son to do what only he could do and that we cannot. In the precious name of Jesus, amen.